Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA Spy Girl on Twitter, and we're broadcasting from the West Left Coast, as usual. And today, I am so excited and so thrilled to be joined by Tony, award-winning director for Hades Town. <laughs> oh my God, I love this show so damn much. It's ridiculous. And, oh, and I love that she's already laughing, so I'm not even going to say her name it, because I want to say a couple more credits, because you've won three Obie Awards, Drama Desk Award, multiple Lortel nominations, I think I'm saying that right, two Doris Duke Impact Award nominations, and the Smithsonian Award for Ingenuity with Dave Malloy, and I saw that show too and loved it, Natasha Pierre. It's, okay. if you don't know, uh, Rachel Chopkin. Chopkin, did I say it wrong? Damn it, Rachel. No, 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 I think you said it right, Rachel Chopkin. Oh, good. Okay, perfect. I pride myself, Rachel, in doing really good intros. Like, I always feel like people earn their intro, and I always want to do something really good. I feel you. I work with a storyteller composer uh, named James and Jerome. They're like a pair, and they tell a wonderful story based on um, a beautiful, like heartbreakingly beautiful piece of calligraphy that is the Emperor Suleiman's signature. And at one point they say, have you ever had someone give you a really good introduction at a party? It's like they roll a rug out for you to walk upon into the party. And it's just, uh, so I take introductions very seriously. I get it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, uh, I do. And I also think it's funny. I was introduced, I was chatting with a general, uh, a couple of days ago and I know him so socially that I always call him by his first name. And then I thought, Oh shit. Should I be using his title? Because I also think you earn your title. And and I was like second guessing, like, have I been insulting you this whole time when we're DMing? Because I know I curse a lot too, which is probably not great. He's like, no, you're you're cool. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> Rachel. First, um, this is my first time I've ever spoken to someone who's won a Tony Award, so it's very exciting. As I said, um, this is my first being a Tony Award winner, so it's great. Do you, like, in the morning, do you look at your Tony or talk to it or just kind of, like, touch it a little bit? <laughs> I don't at all, actually. I have sort of, um, uh, no, is the, is the, sh- is the sh- and probably most respectful answer <laughs> I can give. Uh, I have to, I have to bring in the Tony to engrave, so um, <sighs> I'll, I'll figure out where, I can't actually remember where it even is in my house right now. Are you being serious? I literally would have tea lights all around it and make people look at it every time they came in my house. I'm like, hey, let me show you around first. Have you seen my Tony? <laughs> um, that hasn't been the tempting thing for me, maybe because I've had such nice conversations with people about both over email and in person about um, the speech and the night and just how special it is for the show. So it feels less about the object and more about, you know, how it, how the... Uh, Tony's Well, I now feel very classless because that was my immediate response. I was going to do that or sleep with it in bed, but that would be awkward. Um, speaking, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Sp- 
Speaking of your speech, and I, I'm going to jump back after I talk about it because you brought it up and I think it's a great segue. Your speech was fire and it obviously lit up, you know, social media and everybody was talking about it afterwards. Was it obviously you had planned to do it? Did you have any expectation that it was going to reach and touch so many people how it did? No. And I should say, I mean, I heard from a number of very, very treasured colleagues um, about what it meant to them. So that meant a lot. But I sort of in part because, you know, I wasn't on social media that night at all um, and am not um, am not sort of the most uh, present even on my own Twitter feed. So uh, I don't have a full sense. Yeah, that I knew I was nervous is what I can say. I was nervous to make it. And that's why I held the paper because I knew I would um, screw it up. Uh, <laughs> and I also knew that it was a really important platform. Um, and one that I felt like I had seen over the course of the award season, because of course, there's a lot of different smaller awards leading up to the Tony Awards. Um, and not smaller is the wrong word, but sort of different subsets different. of communities. Um and so I felt like I had had the opportunity to see artists use their platforms beautifully and in, in personal ways and political ways. And I had also seen artists sort of be quite irreverent with their platforms. And that felt um, like taking for granted a moment that can be very um, useful. And I think more than anything, I'm, I'm interested in being useful. Uh, so it's one of the reasons we started this podcast was your speech really typified that for me. It's always, it was interesting to me to reach out and talk to people who are creative, who are in this industry, because I think that the platform is so important and I'm so impressed with people who use it to really do good and to really elevate and to amplify voices that aren't always heard. And I was mm. so, when you, your speech, it gave me chills and I thought, well, that's why these conversations are so important because there's so many voices that aren't being able, you know, are being squelched and are, don't have the opportunity to be spoken. So I, I appreciate that. I think so many women out there did as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I definitely heard from a lot of, I've heard from both female colleagues and colleagues, both uh, male and women and um genderqueer of artists of color. And so that I was, I was, I was really thrilled that, that the speech was received well by, by in particular, both those communities, because obviously those are the biggest stakeholders in terms of type of progress that I was talking about. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like whether, whether they have platforms or whether the world still listens to white voices in a different way than they listen to voices of color. It's, it's, it's like, it's so many layers of breaking through, but yeah, thank you. And you're welcome. It was interesting when I saw the show and I tweeted to you right afterwards because I lost my mind and I've been telling everybody I know that they had to see it. And it's one of the most important shows I think that you can see because of there's so many messages in it. And I was sitting next to, I always, I like to go to the theater by myself a lot of the times because I find it, it's just very solitary for me. And it's just something I can take it all in that way. And there was a young girl, teenager next to me, she had camped out at three in the morning to get, I guess, rush tickets. And she got, she was like the eighth person in, in line. She got a ticket. And one of the reasons she wanted to see it was because of you and because there were so many strong women behind this project. And it 
immediately I started going through and looking at that and looking at, you know, who was involved in putting, you know, this piece together. And so I wanted you to know that it, it doesn't go unnoticed and that here's this young, you know, theater goer and she's passionate about the music, passionate about the show. And that was one of the things that she really appreciated about it. I love it. That's awesome. Did you, when you were coming up through the ranks, did you have, you know, women who supported you or who mentored you or championed you in the way that your speech does for, you know, other women coming through? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, well, first, like, um, I can remember, uh, from afar, but I remember the night that, um, Gary Hines and, uh, Diane Paulus, uh, not Diane Paulus, sorry. Um, uh, Julie Taymor both won the Tony and, you know, in one year, suddenly you had, um, uh, two women winning the Tony for the first time ever a woman had taken the award. Um, uh, so it is, and I, and I actually am a big believer that artists are often mentored as much by people they know as people they don't know, Absolutely. um, via, via their work. Um, but actually Diane Paulus was, she's on my brain because she was a, a teacher of mine at school. And I remember very early on, I had her in, um, uh, for a text analysis class. And she invited me, I said, I would love to keep working with you. And she invited me. And I think I was still a sophomore or junior, maybe in college, um, to uh, both sort of assist slash um, intern for support. Uh, It was after she had made the donkey show and they were working on this crazy version of measure for measure when show world still existed oh wow where which was a strip club and it was sort of amazing to work on measure for measure this very very uh, sort of satirized version of it but within within the confines <laughs> of one of the old midtown strip clubs, strip clubs. um <laughs> And, uh, and Ann Bogart was a very important mentor who first I knew from afar and then um, met through training with the city company. Um, so they spring to mind, uh, as well as several other teachers, there's this incredible, really far out choreographer who was probably the most most important teacher I had at school because um, she taught this underground class from 7 to 10 p.m. on Sunday nights. And you didn't get graded for the class. She did not take attendance. She really kind of couldn't care less because she was just (laughs) working on her own shit. Um, And what she, the only assignment for the entire semester was to be interesting alone on stage for 10 minutes. Wow. And it was so badass. Seriously badass. Yeah, her name was Marlene Pennison. And what she cared about was just putting you into the crisis of your own process. And she would just sort of like sit beside you. She didn't tell you how to get out of it. She didn't tell you (laughs) how to construct process. Um, she just sort of helped you think through what the problems were as you figured out basically how to make a process yourself. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's, I've had a lot of, um, incredible female mentors. That 10 minutes must've felt so incredibly long. I can't imagine that would have been interminable to me. 
Yeah, people would make Drek, people would make Genius, and and there was no correspondence between necessarily like what someone was working on during a semester and what they would do at the end. Um, do you do you remember uh, what you did? Oh well, it was the, also the type of class that you could do as many times as you wanted because you just did another ten minutes. Um, oh wow! So I took it. I think I did Cal. It was called. Yeah, Cal, creating original work. I think I did it like for four semesters and I did some really terrible stuff. I mean, just horrendous, <laughs> you know, like it was at that point where you just, you know, when everything is, I mean, it's beautiful in terms of a stage of artistic development, but you know, everything yeah. is new and everything is hyper precious and so, so precious. I I made a, a, yeah, totally. I made some piece around um, Jeff Buckley's version of, uh, Leonard Cohen song Hallelujah. You know, it was really, I really ran the gamut of um, uh, indulgent cliches. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel um, like that's college. That's pretty much that's part of the college yeah. experience. You have to. Totally. I, yes. No. I think it. I think it really is an essential development step. Such a you know along along with rejecting your parents. Oh you know, yeah. Going, immediately. <laughs> Yes, yeah. definitely. Rejecting your parents is definitely up there with with the college experience, and even after college, it it, it creeps in there too. I think. Yeah, Were your totally. um, one things I I loved is that I, am I pronouncing her name right? Anae Mitchell, Anaeus Mitchell, Anaeus, Anaeus. Yeah, yeah. Is I love, and I I saw some pieces talking about the fact that here is a woman, and now men are singing songs written and created by a woman, as opposed to how we normally see it. And I thought that was so striking. And I was curious if the men, if it was challenging for your male cast to to interpret these songs or to sing these songs, if it was different, if it was a different challenge for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I would say is we're very lucky to have two freaks of nature <laughs> in our, um, as um, our two male romantic leads, you know, one being Patrick Page. He's who insanely amazing. Usually, he's insane. And, he, you know, he usually um, is asked to sing baritone and sounds beautiful in, in, in that range. But very, very rarely does he get to sing bass. And so actually it was, it was, the, it was the character description of that we were seeking a bass that he was most like, what? Uh, in terms <laughs> of very, very initial correspondence we had with him and then on the on the flip side you have Reeve Bernie who oh. has this just unbelievable falsetto um that uh uh is so um uh just unique to find a man who is that comfortable singing up there um and so uh so so I will say both Reeve and Patrick make it seem really easy. Yeah. <laughs> because they're just both able to do it. That said, as we have over the years had to cast understudies and seek replacements, et cetera, um, working on the show, it, 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 it is really brought home how profound the, the, the leap is that both of those two actors are just able to take innately and we are very lucky to have in our um in our understudy core in our ensemble some some really remarkably like flexible performers uh who can do some if not all of what Reeve and Patrick can do 
I mean, people were looking around in the theater when they first heard Patrick sing because we're like, is that is that a really a voice coming from a person? It was yeah. it, it it literally everyone's like, is that a computer? You know, people couldn't believe that 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 voice. It was amazing and it was so perfect for the role. When you first got Hades Town, did you realize how important and relevant it would be, especially now? Well, when no, I mean, look, when I first when I first listened to the 2010 studio album, and Anais and I began talking about it in 2012, 2013, the thought that that why we build the wall would be literally voting. Um, yeah, and that was 2006. Uh, she wrote that, right? Or something she wrote very that long. long in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's shocking. It's just shocking. Um, and it's not like walls are, you know, walls are very ancient um, images. So it's not, you know, not surprising that a wall comes back around in terms of vibrancy, but sort of the degree of alignment um, of how, how the character of Hades um, holds power, stirs fear and, um, yeah, uses both division and capitalism to make people be afraid, um, and to, and thus to, yeah, to maintain his hold. It's all very shocking. Uh, what I, what I also didn't know would feel so profoundly relevant is, um, Amber has talked a lot about this, Amber Gray, who plays Persephone and Amber herself is, she's amazing. And she's also an astonishing activist. Um, and she's sung for years with Reverend Billy and the Stop Shopping Gospel Choir, uh, and does actions with them. And, um, she's, she, she, uh, has affixed very strongly to this idea that every, every action, um, and I mean that in an activist sense, um, may not change the world but it moves the needle a little bit and so even if you don't see that in your lifetime it is worth the attempt because the next Orpheus might make it um and uh and I think the 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 kind of need because you know this is a thing that gets discussed a lot um in different amongst my friends who are activists and I think amongst different communities is how to not give in to despair and so the the people whose responses to Hades Town I've been most touched by um, are are my activist friends and actually my uh, my folks who are both both come from the civil rights uh, world and uh, and a lot of their friends who like were very important in uh, ACT UP and early AIDS um, uh, activism and. All of those communities, uh, I've just seen those people be so devastated and lifted by the show. And that has really meant the most to me because because even though it's a tragedy, I think it, it works very hard to come down on the side of there is something holy and there is something yeah. worthwhile about the attempt to sing the song again. Did you Have you watched it for me when that song, it's called Why We Built the Wall, I looked around because I was so profoundly affected by it and I was crying and 
I, the whole audience was moved. It's very rare, I think, in theater where you, I mean, you always feel an audience, but I felt like we were all sort of, our hearts were all sort of beating at the same time and people were in tears. It was, it was surreal. I think, I think it took us all by surprise. Have you ever looked, I mean, you have to have looked at the audience when that song comes in, on in the show or have you? Yeah. I mean, I usually am watching from the back of the theater. Um, and, and so it's more than anything. I sort of feel like the, the, the wave of breath that goes across the stage um, and watching, like watching Amber during that song is actually uh. one of the most upsetting things I think that happens in the whole show. Um, but you'd have to, I think for the faces, you'd really have to ask the performers because them usually behind the audience. <laughs> when you pick shows to do, is it always important that it has that type of message or it has something that's empowering or uplifting or has something has, you know, a charge, a, a voice for action, something attached to it that feels feels important and present in that sense. Yeah, I think it's very important to me that a that a show and an artist has politics. And I I mean that very broadly is I don't think that means that it has to be a reductive political message um, or complicated, but like overly political message. I think that the I, I, you know, I think that Hadestown is a is a wildly political show. And actually why we build the wall to me is the least of it. It's actually like the workers and this idea of um, solidarity. And when they say, show the way so we can see, show the way the world can be, if you can do it, so can she, if she can do it, so can we. And suddenly you begin to go, oh my God, this is a show about organizing. And yep. I was raised in a very pro-labor family. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, you know, I think that many people would look at Hades Town, you know, maybe putting Wall aside for a moment and go, well, I don't know if that's a you know, quote unquote, political show. Um, But it's it's a show nonetheless with politics. And Aeneas is an artist with politics. And that is very important to me. It's funny when you're talking about moving the needle, I had a mentor who said to me, just leave a thumbprint on the world. And if there's enough thumbprints on that, it'll, it'll make a change and you'll actually make an indentation in the world. And I always sort of Mm. think about that metaphor. Just, it's like, all you have to do is just leave your thumbprint do something good and leave that thumbprint and enough of our thumbprints will, will move, will change. And so I always try to think about that. And it's, it's true. I, I absolutely subscribe to that belief of moving the needle and, and, and not, and it's hard. I think now so many of us are, are feeling devastated or feeling frustrated. It's another news day and it's something else that you just feel like it's another gut punch. You know, if it's not Kavanaugh, it's, you know, it's, it's something else that he said. And so it's, I think, shows like this are so important because I didn't, I didn't walk away. I mean, I walked, walked away, you know, obviously heartbroken, but also there is a feeling of empowerment as well. So I want to oh, thank good. you for that. You were talking good. about your, you're talking about your family and I was reading about your parents are both civil rights attorneys, correct? Yeah. 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 My dad's retired now. My mom's still working and like <clears throat> she does all this huge amount of work these days on, um, both Medicaid policy, which has always been her primary background, is, yeah. is health care for people living in poverty and in particular um, women and children. Um, uh, and then she's doing a, 
a lot of work these days on um, reproductive rights. So. Uh, thank her for all of us who are listening right now. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do every day. I'm very, very, very uh, proud of her and moved least. by her work. I mean, I'm from Missouri, and it's 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 not a good time to be from Missouri right now. We're down to yeah. one, we're down to one Planned Parenthood uh, clinic right now, and we had, yeah. and one of our one of the local representatives described rape as consensual rape. So, you know, we got some work oh, to do. God. No, literally, I was like, I'm sorry, what did he say? And I had to read it like eight times because I thought maybe it's the onion, maybe it's something else. I was like, oh no, no, it's just stupidity. So that wow. yeah, was fun. Are you? For 2020, do you want to get involved with any campaigns? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I haven't gotten so involved yet, though. I'm I'm very, in particular, excited about Elizabeth Warren. Um, yeah. But yeah, who, whoever is the nominee, I will be canvassing for them. I'm very. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people are very intimidated by canvassing, which I totally understand. Um, but uh, I always drag. Um, a group out and uh, have spent a lot of time both for Obama and then for Clinton uh, in Pennsylvania in particular. I uh, we I had the opportunity to interview Hillary Clinton a few weeks ago and it was it was a truly remarkable experience and it mm. after, when I was when we were done chatting with her I came away so obviously moved but I was so angry that she wasn't elected because it was just listening to her articulate what she wanted for the country and her vision for how this country should be was, was how so many of us believe and think. And it was beautiful. And ultimately I just, it, it left me just so frustrated and, and excited and empowered for 2020, because I think we have an opportunity. I agree. I strongly agree. Was there opportunity and responsibility? <laughs> It was interesting because I felt like theater played a very important role in 2016. We, you know, Hamilton did a big benefit for her and it was very much in, t in part of her campaign. It was also because we talked in the interview about her love for theater, which of course delighted me to no end. Um, just, I was like, I could talk to you for an hour about this. I don't think she wanted to talk to me for an hour about theater, but I literally could have. Um, like, no, tell me more. What's your favorite musical, Hilary? So do you think that that would happen again? Is that something you would you would strive to do to bring the community, the theater community together to to work for a candidate? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Whether that's and I think that can take any number of ways. You know, I mean, obviously, like the theater community is very filled with talent and talent is good for fundraisers. And so um, so I think there's a huge amount of organizing to do there. And I also think there's just I, I'm very lucky to serve on the executive board of the stage directors and choreographers union. Um, and so SDC was there, that, which is called the SDC. Um, and we were um, delighted to get involved with an initiative that um, was started at Playwrights Horizons, which was about theaters just um, helping to get people to register. Uh, so, and doing voter education stuff. So, you know, nonprofits obviously have to be very, very careful of not being partisan, but uh, but it's very exciting for me to think about about theater as the center of civic life as much as anything. Especially now, I feel like it's we're seeing so many cuts to it. So I think it's 
I like when it, I was going to use a bad pun and I didn't mean to, I was going to say when it takes the stage, when it, when you see the positive effect that it can have and just the power Mm -hmm. of it, I think it's so important now more than ever. And so even I think the sort of, I don't want to say the rel, you know, revelation of theater again, I think Hamilton helped and obviously Natasha Pierre, and you've got these big shows that are beautiful moon. That's, I think it's really energized the community and people are realizing how important again, theater can be, and hopefully, hopefully doing something so we can give, you know, throw some money into education for it. But I don't, I don't know if I'm so optimistic that that will happen the next two years. Yeah, well, and I think arts funding is only, you know, a small piece of the puzzle for which artists can be using their, um, yeah, back to the word platform. Um, we have a we have a very loud mic in part because artists are good at projecting. <laughs> you know? and so that's uh, and and I actually I think it's I think it's a when I've um, gotten involved as a canvasser or what and certainly talking with friends who I would I think are, are I would call real activists <laughs> versus <laughs> I don't think of myself necessarily as that. Um, uh, uh, that h- how actually. Um, applicable the tools of theater production are in terms of putting together an event in terms of like the dramaturgy of shaping a message all of these things are skills that um, creative practitioners are particularly good at and so um, uh, can be can be really useful to movements I thought it was so smart obviously it didn't help us in the end but I said you're taking a group of the most creative people and you're elevating this message and you're making it so tangible, relatable and exciting for people to actually listen to and to digest. And I think it's so important because I think we end up getting to this overload where we're just like, I I don't care anymore. There's another debate. I, it's just, it ends up being just sort of words after a while. And I think it's a way to, to actually have impact with your message. And it's right. You take the most creative people, they'll know how to shape that message in a way that really touches that touches Americans, that touches us. So we go, oh, okay, we get it. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I was reading an interview you were talking about, and I hope it's okay that we're talking, um, that you're pregnant and you're a surrogate for your best friend. This is true, and yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about that. I was going to ask you, how far along are you, by the way? Oh, my God, I was just staring at my belly. It's funny. Um, (laughs) I am uh, at 30, 30 and a half weeks. So I'm into the third trimester. It's, it's just in time for the height of summer. Oh, good. That should be fun in New York. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Yeah. And my husband and I don't have air conditioning. So we're getting. You won a Tony Award. Wait a minute. Right. You have a Tony Award and you don't have air conditioning? Well, it's not like necessarily media correspondence between the financial life of an artist leading up to the moment they win a Tony Award. I know. And, uh, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get a nice air conditioning unit for our windows. So. <laughs> I'm going to write to the Tonys and say, let's give Rachel an, air, an AC unit. She's going to have a baby. <laughs> yeah. Instead of getting my, my award engraved. That's <laughs> could, could you just give me AC instead? It would probably be the first time they've ever had that request. I it's funny. I went to see the week of the Tonys um, leading into the award ceremony. I went to see Bikini Kill at the King's Theater. And uh, I was talking with my agent, who is also a dear friend. And she was like, I suspect you are the only 
when he's nominated director to go see Bikini Kill in the week that uh, that they might win. Do you go to theater by yourself a lot? Like, will you try to catch theater all the time? Oh, yeah. I'm at the theater probably five or six nights a week. Um, uh, I'm seeing something. And that is both because I love it and because it's my job. I mean, and it's my job to more than anything, not um, not be a prisoner to the limits of my own imagination. So that means trying to expose myself constantly to other people's visions for the world um, and seeing what, you know, performers I may not know or what writers I may not know, sort of all of those things. Um, and go, I was going to ask you, you were talking about, when I asked you about being a surrogate, I was impressed you were talking about how the UK treats pregnant women and how it's very different than in the US. Was Were you surprised or were, was that just something where you're just like, oh, we need to catch up again? Um, I like, mean, I certainly wasn't surprised. Like, look, the NH is obviously Britain um, for how um, much it has slid to the right um, uh, and, and the assault on the NHS to privatize uh, and cut back on the system, it's still a socialized system. And so I was moved, though not surprised, when <laughs> um, this fall I was working in London, of course, on Hadestown, and um, I noticed women wearing these badges. Uh, and a friend said, oh, yeah, the minute you become pregnant in the, in the U.K., um, you are given a baby box, and one of the things that you get is this badge that you just wear on public transport, and people immediately get out of their seats. Uh, That's amazing. Even if the woman is not showing yet. And uh, so I've been um, pleasantly surprised by uh, on the subways how ready people are to get up their seat now that I am showing. But there's obviously the shittiest part of your pregnancy, I think, for most women is the first trimester when <laughs> no one necessarily knows other than you yeah i was wondering i was thinking like if we wore badges would that even matter in the u.s or they'd be like great fucking badge and then they wouldn't move but i'm glad to hear that people actually move because i i don't always expect you know politeness from our society at times so that that makes me feel very very good well and unsurprisingly the people who are most ready to move i have found are older women of color so yeah it's um they, 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 you know, are the salvation for the Democratic Party. And also they are, um, they take care of women. You were, ta- I was reading that you were talking about the importance of community health centers. And is that, and you, do you still use, utilize that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my uh, PCP is that, um, um, is that a, a community health center in the city? And uh, it just was, my stepdad is, um, uh, he's uh, in the process of retiring now, but worked uh, his whole life, basically since he was, I think, 22 or something, and was sent down to El Paso as part of Vista um, to work with the migrant um, uh, migrant farmers and their their families and the larger community down there. And when talking about what the community needed, the thing that was um, uh, most uh, emphasized and articulated was uh, was health, was health care. Um, and this was at the time that the community health center movement uh, was was just beginning to get going across the country. Um, and so 
my stepdad helped build one of the first rural migrant centers. Uh, and then his, yeah, his sort of spiritual godfather in the field, who also is um, one of my mom's closest, uh, uh, now closest colleagues and mentors, was a guy named Jack Geiger, um, who worked with another doctor, uh, Count Gibson. Jack Geiger was on the medical committee, uh, committee for human rights. Um, in the in the 60s, he was one of the doctors who attended to John Lewis on the Edmund Pettus. Oh, wow. So it's like really, it's just an incredible lineage and it's very, very tied to the Head Start movement. Um, uh, and their colleague was a, a, the probably the most important person in the founding of the Community Health Center movement was a, a black community organizer named John Hatch. So it's just a, it's a, it's just an incredible story. And it's also really funny. And like the three, you know, it's got incredible <laughs> characters and wit and, uh, and it's just, it's, it is the type of thing that I just, I really hope someday to, um, to make a mini series that shares it. Well, I think it's, I was really impressed. I thought like she's walking the walk and talking the talk and it was something you believed in. And I, I was impressed. And I just was also impressed that you're a surrogate because I think, the gift you're giving is is truly one of the most beautiful gifts you could ever give to anyone ever. So I just, were you, was it a hard choice for you to say, I want to be a surrogate or was it something immediate that you just said, I'm in? No, I, I proposed it to the, to the boys. Um, Are you serious? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was my idea. I don't think they would ever have had the, um, uh, uh, you know, guts to, to ask, to ask me. Cause well, for all the reasons that you just described, yeah, no, I raised it with them. And I, I just, um, I mean, yes, it's like, it's, it's an, it's a sort of crazy, um, crazy thing that I truly have always wanted to be pregnant and had that physical experience and athletic experience and spiritual experience. Um, and I just really, really don't know if I want to have a child myself. So it's very, very selfishly. This is sort of <laughs> for me to check it out without like fully committing because, you know, 10 months is 10 months, but a lifetime of having a child is a different thing. Well, it's a typical artist. You're auditioning it out. And you're seeing if it's going to get a call back. You know, it's exactly. how is this audition process? Has it been good? Or do you think they'll get a call back? Has it been hard? It's been cool. It's no, the, the pregnancy has touch wood has been, um, I've been very lucky. Um, I still don't know. You know, it's like, um, I have so many children in my life and it's yeah. like, well, do I, do I, do I, am I, is my life better or worse because I'm not dealing with pink eye right now? <laughs> and, and then on the flip side, what I can see is like, um, it has, I mean, I'm, my husband and I are, uh, have an exceedingly joyful relationship. Uh, it's a many, it's a very rich relationship, but I would say he and I have a great, a great amount of fun together. And, uh, and just take great joy in each other. And so I can see that it would be a fun adventure um, to do with him. So, so that, that, that has really crystallized, I would say, through the act of being pregnant. It's interesting because I know a lot of women who say they would like to skip the pregnancy part, but just get to the baby part and get to that part. So I, I like hearing that you're the reverse and you want to go through that part, that you wanted to experience yeah. it. Yeah, totally, totally. 
So I'm going to get to the fun, totally fun part of this interview because we've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff. Um, did you see, and even if you did, I'm still going to ask you, so it doesn't really matter, but I'll ask anyway, the musical theater Facebook quiz that went around. It was like on Facebook and all this other social media stuff. No, oh. I didn't. <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> I'm very okay, excited. I love this. Oh, it, it delights me. I've asked some people and there's some questions <laughs> in here that will mean that I might have to shame you or you may have to shame me for my answers. And that's totally fine. What happens to okay, the podcast good. stays in the podcast. So we're good. Okay. Okay, great. So great. no one will ever hear it. Nobody will ever know. No, it's not like I would, and it's yeah. not like I'd ever tweet it or anything. I will yeah. totally tweet it. Um <laughs> Absolutely, totally tweeting. I'm cracking my knuckles, getting ready. Okay. <clears throat> this is the musical theater quiz. Name the musical that you hate. That people will be surprised that you like, you're just like, uh-uh, not going to have it. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so many things that I can't say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does it rhyme uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? I'm joking. I don't know that show. Oh, you don't even know that show. Yeah, well, maybe maybe I should choose that. You know what? I really did not like, and and I went into the production expecting to be like, okay, I'm going to learn about a show that I didn't know and that it turns out I could love because people loved it so much, but Kiss Me Kate. I was like, uh, I got nothing here. Yeah. Um, it was not for me. I hear you. I I'm I used to have a theory that if a show had a horse in it, I wouldn't like it. Or if it sounded like it had a horse in it. So like <laughs> Shenan- <laughs> So like Shenandoah. I assume there's a horse in Shenandoah. I assume there's a horse in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Brigadoon, there has to be a horse. So anything oh, that Brigadoon, has a Brigadoon, yeah. Oh God, Brigadoon just disappear. So I assume and I hate saying this because I'm Jewish, but Fiddler on the Roof, I can't do anymore because I've seen it so many times. And there's horses in the movie. Oh, no. I love Fiddler, though. I, I know. One of the movies that I watched a ton growing up. Um, Did you? We yeah. had to watch it every year. We had to watch it in Sunday school. I, I didn't like, go. Yeah, I'm a Sunday school lucky. dropout. So, oh, you're yeah, so I'm, lucky. I miss that particular oh. indoctrination. Well, I got kicked out a lot of times, so I kind of made up for it. Did you? That's good. Oh, I started a poker game in Sunday school. My parents like, who are you? I'm like, I'm your daughter. You taught me how to play. This should not come as a shock to anybody. That's um, very good. What musical do you think is overrated? Um. Oh shit. Uh, again, I have the same. I have the same problem of. Um, uh, I really don't want to get into talking poorly about colleagues. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Cats. I'll have to, I love Cats. Actually, no! I never have in my choice. No. My, me and my my So I brought my mom because I'm a Tony voter. So when the revival was out, Cats, you know, was one of the first things my mom ever brought me to. Uh, as a little girl and she always like gets teary-eyed when she thinks about you know me watching Grizabella as a little girl and I brought her we did not get high before the show we just went uh, even though we talked about that and we just held hands the whole time and wept through the entire show like it was this 
kind of magic night of like thinking about mortality. I was <laughs> really demented, but I, I the point is I love cats. Okay. Well, that answers the next question, which is the musical you think is underrated. Cats. Yeah. Cats, um, cats you got it. Is definitely my answer. And you may shame me, but I've said this and I will say this again, Starlight Express. I, I would not shame you. I don't I, know it very well, but anything with roller skates I'm into. It is so damn delightful. And I've seen it like four times. And I'm and I say that in a whisper. I've seen it four times. There I'm committing and embracing it. It's just it was it's magic. I it'll never come back because it's really like a huge, huge, huge undertaking. There's ramps and all this shit going around while people are on roller skates and you're just thinking people are going to wipe out, but it's delightful. What's the musical I, that... I'm it, into it. Oh, please. Oh, well, maybe you could do... Oh, it'd be amazing. Or just all... <laughs> like one day in on Broadway, every musical's on roller skates. Just throwing it out there. Sounds good. I just If you want to roll with it. What's the musical that you love? Like if someone said, what's your favorite musical? Um, I would probably, it's funny, I was just talking about Cabaret with someone uh-huh. that, that I would say is probably one of my favorite musicals. Um, uh, I also, um, I can remember being, uh, totally, uh, shattered by, uh, company when uh. I saw it when I was like 15. And I, I think that show was very, very moving. Um, and I find, uh, yeah, a lot of Sondheim's work is always, is, um, I would say, in that pocket for me. Um, and of course, I mean, A Chorus Line was the first uh, show I ever saw, and I never stopped watching that video. That and Rocky Horror Picture Show were probably uh, like the two um, movie musicals that I watched the most when I was a kid. Uh, it's funny. Chorus Line was one of my favorites. Evita is, was probably one of the first musicals I remember seeing with my family being a little girl and becoming obsessed with it, but just inappropriately obsessed. I think it was seven singing don't cry for me, Argentina on like our kitchen table, not realizing that she wasn't a good human and being like, she's the best. She's my hero. My parents like take it down in a notch there, Chachi. But that was <laughs> like, mm. we can't, they were like, we can't wait till she's older. And she kind of learns the story. But chorus line, I remember the song at the ballet always, sort of devastated me and I just thought it was like the most beautiful perfect lovely song but most of Sondheim does it company uh Sunny in the Park Sweeney Todd those three always uh, they always kind of rip me to shreds and if I'm listening to the series Broadway channel it comes on if it's something Sondheim I always I always have to like clutch my heart like my grandma would do and I'm like okay I'm I'm prepared I'm prepared to listen to, to company but it's uh, yeah. So then, I feel like you may have oh, answered. And the other, yes. the other Sorry, just to no. say, but the, the, I just realized the show that I probably listened to because I don't. I would not say I listen to shows other than the ones I'm working on that much. Um, that's not necessarily my go-to music. But Passing Strange um, is one of my favorite favorite shows, and I would also say that's like one of the most underrated, or at least like um, you know, it did not it. I wish it was still running. I loved that show desperately. Yeah, I was going to say, I felt like it never quite got its due because some of the music I've, well, is I never got to see a production of it, which was always a bummer. Whenever I go 
to New York, I try to see as many shows. And for a while I was seeing every show in previews and then it would, it would close. And so they were calling me the black widow. Cause I would see a show and like, oh, no, oh. no, literally. And it was like, I had a, like a track record. It was Rocky. It was Amer- It was uh, American psycho. It was hands on a hard body. It was tuck everlasting. It was sideshow every show. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Cause there's a lot of shows I love and I didn't want them to close. But, <laughs> but I, I was like, oh, God, I, I was like, Hades Town's doing OK. And I didn't see you in preview. So I was like, you guys are going to be you guys are golden. You're solid. But I never saw Passing Strange. And I wanted those one of the shows I wanted to see. Well, Spike Lee filmed it. You should watch the oh, really? uh, document of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very good. Well, you answered the musical that you cherished because I feel like is that Cats? Yeah, that's okay. good. I support. Musical you could listen to on repeat? Is that Passing Strange? That's probably Passing Strange. Um, I mean, and I certainly, I listen to Hamilton a lot. Uh, because, like, formally, it's a, um, it relates to how um, my composer, the composer on Lampica, uh, talks about music. So I've been, I've listened to that show a lot. Um, yeah, those are good. What musical would you want to do if you could do a revival of a musical? Is there a musical you're like, eh, that's the one I would love to tackle? Right, right. I know this is like uh, my career would be so much easier if I if I, <laughs> if I was drawn to revivals. Um, I would say, um, I mean, I, I actually I don't know the musical that well, but the play Auntie Name is uh, the play that I am very, very drawn uh, to. I think in part for the same reasons that like being a surrogate <laughs> was my yeah. idea. You know, like just this, I, the, the, the idea of sort of um, uh, uh, receiving this child and like getting to expose them to the world. And, and I think that the play just hates all the right people, like the way who, you know, <laughs> who the villains are of the play, I think is just wonderful. And there's such a, you know, the, the humor of it, the camp of it. Uh, I just think it's fabulous. So, so I should, I should get to know Auntie, I should get to know Mame, the musical better. If you end up doing that. it, don't forget this conversation. If you okay, do, I, won't. I, I just <laughs> I want like a little... You. A little note in the playbill would be delightful. Is there, um, is there, what song if is your shower song that you belt out in the shower? Is there any musical song? Yeah, probably tends to be honestly whatever, whatever I'm working on. Although my, um, whenever I go out of town, um, my, I'll leave for my husband or he'll leave for me. And he has one of the times that I left it uh, sitting in his, um, bathroom mirror at like on the pin to the back of the bathroom mirror. So I think of it when you mentioned the shower, but, um, is, uh, Natasha's song from act one, no one else, uh, you know, in that song, she goes, I love you. 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 Uh. It's just this perfect moment of lyric and music. And also it was a, one of my favorite moments of staging where, um, first Pippa Sue and then Danae Benton just sort of fun in a circle and then like fully embraced, embraced the air and ended up, you know, embracing herself um, as she thought about Andre who she couldn't be with. And so that, that's a, that's a frequent in our household. Oh, that's, I love that. And also I love that. I love that show so, so damn much. 
Um, and not only as I told you that because you guys, you fed us with pierogi and I thought that was just such a lovely touch. I can be, always Thank be bribed you. by carbs always. So I was like, they're going to feed me. Oh, I'm in. What do you have a guilty pleasure musical? <laughs> well, cats, obviously. Well, cats. Yeah. I know. I didn't know if you wanted to do a part two. Um, what would be my guilty pleasure musical? Um, uh, well, hair is not a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure, but it's yeah. a favorite. Um, what is a guilty pleasure? I'm like sitting. It's funny. I'm like sitting in the window looking over Times Square right now of this new rehearsal rehearsal space called Open Jar at the top of Times Square. Um, and I'm like trying to survey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I saw Wicked recently, actually, okay. for the first time. And really? I was like, yeah. I had never seen it. I just, it was not a period in my life when I went to Broadway or ever could, you know, could afford Broadway. And so me and Carson Kreitzer, actually the book writer and lyricist for Lampica, who like both of us come from such downtown worlds. We, we went to see Wicked together and we're like, oh my God, it's about Donald Trump. Which we knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, that, so that was like deeply, deeply pleasurable to see. I'm so that you, it's kind of funny. I'm asking you questions. And you're kind of answering the next question. Cause the next question was musical. I should have seen, but haven't by now. And you kind of just did that. Yeah, that With, I would, I would say that is, uh, that's, that's wicked. Mine was, but it, I saw the merrily we roll merrily we roll along, but I don't know if that's like a, a show I should have seen because it's not really done a lot, you know, yeah. but I, but I, yeah. I kind of loved it like a lot. And I, but I, I like anything Sondheim. So it's, I'm not like a good judge because I have anything. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to love it. Have you met anybody in the theater world? That's really starstruck you. That's made you go, Oh my God, I'm in their air. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's usually directors for me. Like, um, I mean, I can, uh, I've had, I've met Ivo Van Hova multiple times and have had nothing to say to him each time. <laughs> um, uh, I can remember, um, uh, very, 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 I mean, it wasn't, it's a meeting is like not even, uh, it would be generous, but I, I, as a freshman, I, uh, and student, I attended the opening night of Death of a Salesman. Oh, wow. Uh, in, in 1998. And, uh, uh, and, you know, Gregory Peck and Lauren Bacall were there. And, oh. uh, I can just remember, like, I think, you know, we went up and we're like, Hello, but it was you know, Hi. Like, again, meet, meeting is a generous word for whatever that was. <laughs> uh, that's actually amazing because I was thinking, does anyone still star? I think it's always sort of lovely and humbling when that happens, when you're like, they still kind of, they do that to you. What's, I was reading that you're, and then I'll let you go. I was reading though that you're working on another Dave Malloy show. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, I was in auditions for it this morning. We're doing an adaptation of Moby Dick um, that is going to be, we're doing a concert of a bunch of the songs this summer, uh, July 26th and 27th at the Natural History Museum under the frickin' whale. Are you serious? Uh, which I'm very, yes, yes, totally. I'm, I might be Grab in New York. Tickets. They're almost gone. Tell Are you me serious? You, you know, yes. Oh my God, that's going to be amazing. 
Yeah, I'm so excited about it. And it's, I'm really, and then the piece, the full production is happening this fall at the ART up at Cambridge, uh, at at Harvard. And um, uh, yeah, I'm very, very moved by this by the music and the content. I mean, it's really heavy shit. It's, it's using, it's both telling the story of Moby Dick and unlike with Comet, we are telling the full story um, of the novel, but it's also really more so using the novel to think about 21st century America. And so the whiteness of the whale on obviously major implications of white supremacy, the, um, conceit is that Dave who plays Melville who's sort of a very minor character but plays piano throughout the whole piece and then the actor playing Captain Ahab those will be the only two white cisgendered men in the cast and the and the rest of the company is um is artists of color and uh so it's it's yeah it's it's big it's very ambitious when are you announcing well you're auditioning now I was wondering if if there's any cast that you've uh, that you're going to announce soon, so people, in addition to Dave, if there's anybody else that people get excited about seeing. Oh well, it's you know it's a lot of actors who probably people may not uh, know their names from um, uh, from Broadway, but are like major uh, uh, downtown uh, uh, workhorses who have been working with us. Uh, with us on this show forever. So Nick Chokey so from Great Comet, um, who played Dolokhov, he's been developing the role of Ishmael with us forever. Um, so Star Busby, who is in Dave's show Octet right now um, at the Signature, and is someone who I've loved forever. Star has been working on the role of Starbucks with us for years. Um, cause the, uh, one of the further conceits is that all the first mates are played by women. Oh, um, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of people that New York recognizes certainly. And um, then so, we all get to discover, yeah. which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I want to thank you so, so, so much for, for joining me and doing this. I was so excited about Hades Town that it, it truly blew my fucking mind and I couldn't stop talking about it and I immediately we started tweeting right away because I just was so moved and when theater does that I just knew I wanted to talk to you because the vision and just the experience of it was so special that I knew I wanted to talk to you and I knew that you would have something to say that I that our listeners would want to hear as well. So I just want to thank you again for your time. And I know how busy you are being a Tony winner and all. So I do want to thank you. <laughs> yeah, I have to find my Tony. <laughs> yeah, you might. I don't um, just don't know. Yeah. No, no it's judgment. In my house. It's definitely in my house. Yeah. Um, thank you, Emily. It's a it's a pleasure. And I love Hades Town. And, uh, and I love that it moved you in the way it did. So thank cool. you. And just for folks who are listening, uh, you can just visit us on Deep State Radio Network or and on our website. You can also follow us on Twitter as well. And you can follow Rachel on Twitter and myself as well, CI Spy Girl, and get all of our fun updates. You can also become a member if you like. And thank you all for listening. This was just a truly special experience. So thank you all. And thank you again, Rachel. So appreciate it. A pleasure. Bye. Bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. 
Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.